From Coney Island to St. Mark's Place. From Berlin to Alaska. From on stage at Max's to Tai Chi classes. From Lou Reed to Lou Lou. This is Talking Lou. Uh, what a piece of shit. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jim Callahan. And I'm Paul Colantoni. And this is Talking Lou. So today we're going over Sally Can't Dance, Lou's fourth album, and our fifth episode. How about that? It was released August of 1974 on RCA Records, again, uh, produced by Steve Katz and Lou, although in a very passive sense, produced by Lou. It was his highest charting album in the U.S., reaching number 10 on Billboard Top 200. Yay, made it to the top 10, finally. I didn't uh, realize that. I I think I, I was always under the assumption that because Transformer definitely has the longest legacy for him, Right. I didn't realize then in the short term that this one charted so high and did so well on the radio and i know the only other like major one down the line aside from that sally can't dance rock and roll animal the other really big one would be new york right that's that's much much later so fun thing fun thing i learned hey i was wrong about something already already actually i'm sure i've been wrong about a few things well if anybody's listening send emails or no, don't send emails. What am I saying? <laughs> no, I'm not reading those. <laughs> send messages and uh, bother Paul about it. Don't bother me. Yeah, we're the MTV generation. You know, we're not going to read your letters. I, I, I'll, I'll read the mean comments. It's okay. But, um, but I think it, I think it did a total of 14 weeks in the top 200. You know, that, over that's the, pretty good. Yeah, it's, and and I know he doesn't really, it doesn't really attract that far ever again. I think on this level, but. This is a because uh, this is a record that like I was surprised to learn how much he didn't care about making it, and, like and how disinterested he was in making it. The record label once again didn't give him a chance to breathe. Rock and roll animal had come out, Berlin had come out, and it's barely a year since Berlin it was out, and right. then already he's putting out another record. They want another one. Yeah, yeah. just give me another. Give me. I, mean, I don't know who is a bigger junkie at this point, like Lou Reed or RCA Records, <laughs> right? But. He uh, he didn't. His heart wasn't in it, but at the same time, I don't think this uh, record destroyed him the way making it the way uh, Berlin did. Right. It's evident just because the tone of the record is is a lot lighter, even with having such heavy subject matter sprinkled throughout in uh-huh. there. And it is dark. It is a dark record in a lot of ways, but it is more geared towards pop. Right. It's like a party record. It's something I would put on. It's, out of all his albums, at least so far, like if I'm having people over, I'll put Tally Can't Dance on. It's fun sounding. Yeah, and, uh, this was a uh, this was actually the first full length of album I, proper that I bought by him because oh, I, okay. I bought the uh, that bo- that second disc of the Between Thought and Expression box set purely by chance, and then when I was digging through s- CDs of his, this was the first full length I bought, and this properly probably turned me into a fan. I would say. As soon as I really started grooving to it, like three in the morning, listening to this album over and over again while I was doing my bad job at the time, it just connected immediately. Right. And it's a lot of fun. It's among my very favorites that he's that he's made. Yeah, me as well. So it, it's kind of a small stab in the back to hear that him like shit on it so much. Yeah, he um, after the fact really didn't like it. I mean, this is one where he took a really passive role in the production, even though it ended up being such a big hit for him. And then Steve Katz was quoted as saying um, that Lou spent most of his studio time in the bathroom shooting up methadrone. Uh, so he wasn't the usual control freak in the studio, making sure the lights are turned out and all that kind of thing. Uh, they basically had to prop him up to do his vocal takes. If there was a thing where Lou initially was like, can we just re- record all the vocals in one solid singular take <laughs> and, and just just let, just to get it over with and steve like vetoed that it's like no you have to do individual Multiple. takes you, you can't <laughs> do it all in one shot it's it's got to be broken up and lou ultimately it was a the, the other thing steve steve mentioned exactly what you were saying about like how lou would go in the bathroom but like lou when lou was working he was working and he was also very like very uh connected with speed at that point and mm-hmm. They would go for hours, 18-hour days, and then it would be 4 in the morning, and Steve Steve Katz would be ready to quit, and then Lou would go into the bathroom, do his business, and then come back out, and it's like, all right, well, it's the next take. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. What's let's next? Go. Yeah. And it would just, it would, it would drive everyone nuts that they were beyond exhausted by the time they got done making this album. Yeah. And it was made in Electric Lady Studios, uh, New York City, in the village. 
Uh, so not in London this time. No, finally back home. Um, yeah, recorded March and April of 1974, and the total length is 32 minutes 58 seconds. Some people will like. I mean, that's punk rock right there. And yes, yeah. and and depending on who you talk to, that's that's either an album or it's an EP. But if you're a punk band, that's an album. Yeah. But like for most other major, it could be a long album for some yeah, of us. Most yeah. other major uh, rock rock albums, it's like that's that's not an album. But these days, especially, I mean, like all rules are out the window. But yeah, there's shorter songs, like uh, especially compared to Berlin, where we had, uh, and then the live album we did, where uh, oh yeah, yeah, we had ten minute songs on there, eleven minute songs. Yeah, on there. Berlin, they had in Berlin album proper, they had to chop those uh, those songs down entirely. Right. But like Oh Jim, like goes on for like ten minutes. Here, it Sally can't dance. This the single is a is a clean three minutes, but right. like on album, it's not that much longer. It's only like five minutes and change. Right. It, it, well, when we talk track by track, they had to like cut material out of it, and they used a completely different take. But still, either which way, either version of the song, version of the song, it's it's just a it's a cool dance dance number, you know, danceable. It, it's very danceable, very danceable, and, even for me. And I don't too. dance at weddings. But I'll dance doing research to this record, yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, for the personnel, we had Danny Weiss, uh, who was in Iron Butterfly and Rhinoceros on guitar. We had Prakash John on bass. Penty Whitey Glan on drums. Exactly. We've heard from before. And then Dougie Yule. Doug. Uh, plays bass on Billy, uh, that song alone. And Lou had called him completely out of the blue, thinking his playing would work well on the track. And guess what? It does. For the album cover art, we had David Edward Byrd. Uh, he was famous for doing all the Fillmore East posters and, and Broadway posters. So he did the cover art. Then Mick Rock took care of the photos, of course. I like the cover of this uh, album. It's, it's so 70s. It's, it's great. And I think uh, it's it's probably, it's it's one of my it's one of my favorite photos of Lou. It, it is a photo, right? Uh, I think it was a Polaroid. Was a I think it was, it was a, a Polaroid first, and then they adapted it to you know look like art yeah it, it just like paint the the look of it is really cool and it's just because he's got he's you can see like he's got like the jacket on and he's got the shades and then he's got the bleach blonde hair and he's got his neck kind of crooked yeah, to one it, side a just little like, bit it's almost like a shrug uh, like you could read it as like a shrug like yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> Which, i'm turning this in so maybe like now that i i have all the full context of him not not really completely given a shit that like it kind of makes sense that that's like the album cover but it's 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 a good cover it's a good it's a good look it's also the first solo album that is all new music no vu tracks yeah i mean there's definitely like stuff that like like especially in most recent history uh there's the 1971 demos uh album that just came out on uh, record store day right yeah we and both it, got that and it had a a version of kill your sons that i've never heard before mm-hmm. but it it's compl- it was never that was never released right. until just this year 2022 so hearing that was pretty incredible but yeah you're right this is completely new stuff all this stuff was written in uh his uh girl new girlfriend's apartment which doesn't last very long it's it's actually a uh, mistress might be the better term because oh. the, the lady he uh provocative and, yeah well the lady he was shacking up with was uh barbara hodes and uh he knew her from touring and, Meet, meeting up on tour yeah so. it was it was a whole thing and so january 1974 rolls around she's got a she's got a place on uh fifth avenue and uh he he moves in there and not that he didn't have places to stay apparently he had several places to stay yeah he just, it was a, more of a case where he just did not want to be alone. And so he wrote like all the lyrics and most of the, most of the songs for Sally Can't Dance in February of uh, 74. And that was pretty much their relationship of him just like sitting in a room playing guitar and scribbling on note, notepads. And uh, actually I just saw all the original handwritten lyrics at the New York Library for the Performing Arts. And uh, we'll put that up on the Instagram, but I've seen the original scribbles for lyrics for Kill Your Sons and Babyface. Man, that's so cool. It's pretty neat. I gotta get up there. Yeah, to everyone listening, if you have a chance before March 4th, 2023, go to New York City and uh, check out the big Lou Reed exhibit that just opened up. And you said it's like a 20-minute walk from Penn Station, so it's... Pretty yeah, easy to get it, to by train. Yeah, it's very... It's, from, we're in Philadelphia, but yeah. Yeah, you. it's from Penn Station, like... It's maybe more like half hour or more, but okay. like you, a quick taxi ride. If you don't mind a walk, take a walk. But 
It's not. It's it's right downtown. Take a walk on, on the wild side. The wild side of Eighth uh, Eighth Street, <laughs> uh, by way of uh, Lincoln Avenue, somewhere around there. Uh, I don't know the entire geography. Okay. Uh, one major thing. Uh, since uh, it's a new year, it's a new look. He had uh, gotten that new haircut uh, last last year, mm-hmm. like late last year, just uh, in preparation for uh, for the the rock and roll animal uh, tour. And uh, so he his hair is still cropped really short, but then he bleached it, and then the stylist like uh, put in uh, iron crosses into his head, which was either a joke or it was intentional or it was part of a bigger thing Lou was going for. Either way, it sent very weird mixed messages because a of course Lou Reed was a Jewish man, yeah, and the Iron Crosses had a very and the following the album Berlin, yeah, following album was Berlin. It's got like and the you know the World War Two and Nazi chic was for some people that was starting to become a thing. Oh yeah, biker it, gangs, yeah, and... a lot of that crap was rolling around, and now of course today it's. Well, then the early punks and stuff, like the Dead Boys of Berswastika, the Sex Pistols. I think, it's, it's yeah. It was a shocking thing back then. It was a the shocking... destroy shirt with a big swastika on All it. that stuff would track later on for what I... Context, contextually, I sort of understand what they were going for, but I never agreed with it. Yeah, I, I not always, for me. Thanks. And, but there is a weird, twisted reason why maybe this was intentional. And the reason being is that you mentioned Steve Katz, but mm-hmm. like... His brother was Dennis Katz, who was uh, the guy who from RCA that was plotting all the tours up oh, to this point, okay. and like and uh, set set all the tour dates up. Lou suspected uh, Dennis of ripping him off, and apparently Dennis had a whole thing for collecting Nazi paraphernalia. Really, and and Lou noticed that like money was missing where it should have been. So according to Barbara Hodes, who was the lady he was staying with. Lou said, "Like, look, I'm going to do something a little weird and crazy, but I think Dennis, Dennis is going to rip me off. So just go with this. I'm going to play this up, and if if uh, somebody's uh, charging money for X, Y, and Z, like Nazi shit, it it wasn't me. It's got to be him. I'm going to make people think it's me by doing this thing. It's like six degrees of wow. like weird chess that he's playing here. Apparently, yeah. well, he's in a, a, a very limber mental." Uh, state. I, I don't know if it's three dimensional chess. That's that could be one thing. I I read this this thing in the one of the biographies like five different times trying to figure out the logic of it. Right. But point is, it does turn out that Dennis Katz is ripping him off, and Lou sues him, and over a number of years does get like money back from him. Dennis is ultimately fired, but he still works with his brother Steve for like a, a couple albums at least. So. Interesting, interesting stuff there. It can't be easy for a producer to produce with Lou Reed in the seventies. No, I just can't imagine. It, 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 <laughs> well, especially around this time, going into this record, it was definitely rough. The one thing that does change is that Lou meets uh, Rachel Humphreys mm-hmm. like in uh, March or April of uh, seventy-four. Now, is it supposed to be Rachel on the back of the album? Uh, that's actually. I read that, but I. Yeah. I, I don't quite think so. It, it's a pause. Put a pin in it. We'll redo it. Okay, so Lou met Rachel Humphreys, who was a trans woman in a uh, nightclub, Club Eighty Two in the East Village. It was a well-known basement drag bar, and uh, much like uh, how Lou met Betty the first time, Rachel like uh, was off-putting at first at first uh, shot and uh, didn't really care about who Lou was, didn't know his music, didn't really care that he was a musician. And uh, Lou was happy about that. He wanted someone, he wanted a challenge and it ultimately won Rachel over after, after just a short amount of time. And according to uh, Steve, Steve Katz, like Rachel would start uh, hanging out in the studio and it was good for Lou. It gave him some structure again. And uh, before long, uh, Lou moved out of uh, Barbara Hodes' place and then moved in with Rachel, and they got they got a place of their own. Mm. And that was a relationship that would would start to blossom pretty quickly, and it, it became very serious very quickly. This is your 1974 <laughs> news with Jim Callahan. <laughs> it's 1974. Richard Nixon, a year earlier, had declared that he was not a crook, but in 1974, it was proven that he was. Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And although, well, maybe not a shadow of a doubt because 
Ben Stein, I don't know if he's still alive or st- No, he's dead too. Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry. All all Nixon's best guys are like in the ground. Except for Henry Kissinger for some reason. Yeah, what <laughs> Henry Kissinger is still alive as of this record, July twenty twenty two. Although R.I.P. James Kahn, that just happened today. Oh. Uh anyway. Anyway, I'm really digress. I had to hear it on Talking Lou now, recording yeah, yeah, live. Do not cut this. That everybody has to know how sad you are because I'm sad. But he, rest he, in pieces. Huh? Yeah, rest in peace. But he was in Thief, and Thief was a masterpiece. Okay. All right. Anyway, so Nixon is out. Gerald Ford is in. The new VP is also an, a, guy, a guy that was uh, like appointed because uh, Gerald Ford wasn't even uh, the vice president like until. Until 1974 as well, uh, because Spiro Agnew had been kicked out of office. So mm-hmm. it's Spiro, Spiro Agnew's gone. Gerald Ford's in. Just for that name alone. It's I know. Like, it's crazy. You're a politician and your name is what? Like, and I, and I okay. always, I got to bring this up just because it's so weird because Ford, Ford's an appointed guy. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes president. And then he appoints a new guy who is the governor of New York, Rockefeller. Right. Nelson Rockefeller. And so Nelson Rockefeller, former governor of New York, is now the vice president of the United States. Just just like that. And he flipped the bird to all yeah. those college students. Yeah. And he caused Attica. <laughs> and Albany or something like that? Yeah. 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 It was it was a whole thing. This is not a Nelson Rockefeller podcast. But, no. you know, he comes up every so often. The other thing to mention, of course, is that like everybody thought this was going to usher in a, a new uh, wave of reform. And uh, that sort of all went out the window when uh, Ford immediately pardoned Richard Nixon. Yeah. So, good job, Gerald Ford. Uh, set set the stage for all sorts of terrible shit down the line. Uh, the other major thing uh, going on this year around the world, uh, there was a left-wing coup in Portugal yeah. that like restored democracy. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other side of that, neo-fascist uh, Italians blew up a train. Uh, there was the Rumble in the Jungle, oh. Ali versus Foreman, and that was pretty cool. In New York City, the new mayor is Abraham Beam, mm. sworn January 1st, and uh, he inherited a major financial crisis, yeah. this, the effects of which probably still weirdly felt in New York City to this day. Not all his fault, but there was, there was only so much he could do. One major thing that happened, uh, Philip, I'm going to say this right, I hope, is it, it's either Philip... Felipe, 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 Felipe. That's what I was going for. Sorry, okay. Felipe, Felipe, Felipe Petit. He's the guy who crossed the twin towers. He tightrope rock. Oh, right. That happened this year. Pretty big deal. Yeah. While well, they were still there, I don't know where he was on nine eleven. But say, what what happened to the? <laughs> anyway, Wait, something happened to the twin towers. Yeah. Uh, I just said like, towers. <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk later. Okay. Catch me up. Uh. The other major thing, uh, uh, every last ding dong subway car is tagged with trash and graffiti. Yeah, and because the budget is like gone, and uh, this was something interesting I learned. Uh, the guy who uh, basically is responsible for the New York City subway system uh, being the way it is was a man named Robert Moses, mm-hmm. who planned a lot of stuff around the city, uh, this, the subways, the bridges, the roads, and everything, and. He set things up so, like infrastructural-wise, because he set them up seemingly like smartly, but not with a lot of forethought. Any sort of like a structural like a maintenance became like prohibitively expensive. Yeah, nightmare. Yeah, a nightmare. To and in 1974, they basically abandoned like uh, a a plan that was set in motion by former mayor John V. Lindsay to try to clean up the cars and. Every car is just a mess. Mm-hmm. Just and then later on, sit, the city is still to this day in in the twenty first century trying to like play catch up, getting the subway system oper- fully operational, clean, you name it. It's just it's it's a complete mess. In nineteen seventy four, the the film The Taking of Pelham One Two Three comes out. Mm. That's filmed entirely in the New York City subway system. The uh, the caveat they uh, made the had the filmmakers uh, go with is that whatever car you use has to be clean. So if you watch that movie, the the subway car that, that most of the movie takes place in is completely clean. And anybody who would have watched that and lived in New York back then would have been immediately like, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah, not so realistic. A- yeah. Absolute bullshit. But that's Hollywood for you. Yeah. Uh, the other major thing going on, 
Oh, the cop in a previous episode uh, in Berlin, we talked about the cop who shot that uh, 10-year-old kid, Clifford Brown. Mm. He's acquitted. And uh, Jamaica, Queens uh, burns to the ground for a minute there. And an interesting uh, tidbit I learned is not 100%. I'm going off of Wikipedia, but I'm going to say it's a hard maybe. There's a song, Do-Do-Do-Do, Heartbreaker. Yeah. By the Rolling Stones. Stones, Yeah. That calls out the New York New York City Police Department, and the the the, the line is yeah. uh, a case of mis- mistaken uh, identity. Uh, yeah. The police in New York City chased a boy right through the park. In a case of mi- mistaken identity, identity, they put a bullet through his heart. Yeah, and it and apparently the timing lines up for when they would have recorded that song. In fact, they did an initial record, and then that incident with that kid happened, and then they recorded the song after the fact. Uh-huh. The timing sort of lines up. So that's probably what they're referencing in that oh, song. Oh man! So I've contact- I thought it was just yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like any number of times this has happened. Yeah, yeah. but like, but ne- I think they're specific. That was a famous case. And yeah, they, they were specifically and, yeah. referencing that that kid being murdered by the cop. So I just thought that was amazing. I didn't want to miss that one. Thanks, Jim. I'm learning now. All right, and uh, I think the only other thing uh, to mention is that uh, 1974 kind of a mess for New York, and it doesn't really get better anytime soon. Woo! That was the news. <laughs> okay, uh, the cover of the album were uh, two paintings based on photographs. The front cover was a, originally a photo by Mick Rock. It's, it's an illustration of that photo by a man named David Bird. And then on the back cover, it's also an illustration by David Bird, but the photo this time was by Lou Reed, and that illustration of a, was of a model named Rene de la Bush. I think this was a time he was taking a lot of uh, Polaroids of everybody in his yeah. apartment. So I think it stems from that. The yeah. original, original photo, anyway. They were all, yeah, re- really cool looking. I, I really like the photo the photo of Lou as a painting. Right. It's, it's great. It's a great look. It's definitely then, of the time. Yeah. It has that 70s vibe. It has that 1974 vibe uh, to perfection. Yeah. And then the photo of the model, like, also just perfect. Cause just it, a cool tan lady. Yeah, it doesn't look like she she her if she has eyebrows, they are very, very like like light. It doesn't look like she does. Yeah, if you take take a look Let me at take it. a quick look. Take a look take a look at Gander there. We'll put this up on our Instagram. But just like it just a great expression on this woman's face. Yeah. She's probably listening to um, Lou Reed on speed talk about his guitar for four hours. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> or something, something like that. Since, since, he, since he is like such like a crazy like strung out manic mess at this point, yeah, definitely. I'm sure he's talking a mile a minute. Are you ready to go track by track there, Jim? Absolutely. Okay, track by track. Track number one: Ride Sally Ride. This is probably definitely not about Sally Ride the astronaut. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I, I if anyone out there within the sound of my voice knows that when they set Sally Ride up into space about 9 years later if they played this song like while while the rocket ship was uh, taking off in outer space let me know. I would hope that that would happen. That's just too great. To... I think I think it would be perfect just because especially when you get to the line Take off your pants. Don't you know this is a party? What, in space? Or on the way to space? On the way to space. I would have my pants off on the way to space. <laughs> I mean, they'd be full of poo, in my case. <laughs> I think you have some kind of tube you can poop into. I can't even... I, the, I've been on a plane in about two years, but like I, I was like a train wreck almost the entire time. Really? A plane wreck. It, it was, a plane wreck, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it scared me. I, I, I have more like frazzled nerves than ever about like any sort of like air travel. Sure. Travel in general. It's just, just no thank you. Uh, I'm staying home. <laughs> okay. This one has a piano intro, uh, intro to the whole album, and we meet Sally. Uh, and this is not like Ride Sally Ride by Al Green or that part of Mustang Sally by Wilson Pickett. It is, it's its own thing, definitely. I love it. Uh, this was a uh, Again, this was the this was the first proper Lou Reed record that I'd heard at aside from the uh, the best of uh, compilation. That oh, I heard really? Before. So this was like after I heard that random like CD, then I picked up this one. I judged an album by its cover. I thought I liked the cover, so I was like, "All right, this one looks good." I didn't know any of the songs on it either, and I went in cold. And right from the start, it's just, this album just pulls me right in, just with the piano and then like the the guitar and then just. The whole like backup singing and everything. Backup it's, singers, it's hell yeah, really nice. And this this is a really nice. Uh, this is a really nice uh, beginning. It's a really nice like like a uh, let's uh let's get comfortable here. And it has that whole like that soul ending outro 
thing yeah. that goes on forever. It's it's so great. Yeah, it's a thing that would get tired decades later. Like <laughs> when like I think by you know you know what band that really irritated me did this uh, the AAS. Did they do that? I only know a couple songs. They did a song in 2013, their worst album, the one with Mosquito and uh, whatever, Sacrilege, I I think is the name of the song. Okay. But it's a whole like soul singing song that just like like a church, like like, let's go to church sort of thing. And it's just, it's been done to death at that point. And it really, that that whole album is like weird. Or like that uh, Guns N' Roses, knock, knock, knocking on Uh, heaven's door. I mean, like on record, it's okay, but like, like. The, the good thing about like that Guns N' Roses cover of that is if uh, you go on YouTube, there's because they added a whole like part where Axl Rose goes, "Give me some reggae" in the middle of that some thing. What? The, it's some a reggae. Whole, there's like a whole like reggae breakdown. Oh, but man. some maniac, you, you could type it right now. Axl Rose asked for some reggae for like ten hours, two minutes, however long you want, okay. and it's just a loop, endless loop of Axl Rose asking for some reggae. Man, that's right up my alley. Yeah, you'd love it. Uh, and anybody else listening you would love it too i remember the last place i lived we had a basement that had like a uh not like a bar but it had like a pool table Mm -hmm. and dartboard and tv and all that stuff i remember us shooting a couple games of pool while we're listening to the paul stanley stage banter that was like 40 minutes long how long is he go what's he going off about on that it's just it's all spliced together and stuff oh so so just like are you getting on the train or like shit like that or like i know like he's just there's 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 so many there's clips i've heard of him just like screaming at the audience and then like we got this thing called terrorism we don't like it (laughs) just shit like that yeah that's great (laughs) i I went to the dental hygienist the other day it's just like what are you talking about okay all right, where where was I? Uh... I'm sorry, I do I I derailed that whole thing. Yeah. But we were just uh, talking about like uh, how uh, nice this uh, first track was. Yeah, ride Sally, ride. There's a uh, the lyric uh, when your heart's made out of ice reminds me of, of course, like so cold in Alaska. Yeah. In fact, when I w- when I was uh, going through this for for this uh, this podcast, it was like it a couple of moments in this song and then on Babyface, like in particular, made me give me gave me pause thinking. Is this a secret sequel to Berlin, like mm. in those characters? But after thinking about it a little bit more and really digesting it, uh, I'm gonna say no. Yeah, I think it's its own beast. Yeah, it's that that there's there's similar themes for sure, but like not nearly as depressing or like just or it's just not a connective tissue in the same way to to like the the records are completely different. The 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 songs are a little more independent on this album right. than like Berlin was. And speaking of beast, track number two, animal language. Um, hearing him bark like a dog decades be- decades before DMX would do the same thing. Like, DMX, man, you uh, you owe everything to Lou Reed. <laughs> <laughs> he he was uh how old was DMX was like what fifty? I would think around just, there somewhere. Just about that. So like he would have been about like four years old, I think, when this uh, record came out. Okay, man, somewhere you're a mathematician. There. Yeah, I, I'm because I'm pretty sure he died. Like it's 2022. He died like two years ago now, or was it last year? Time has no meaning. Yeah, within a couple years. Yeah. Okay. the 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 cool thing about this song, it's it's always read like uh, registered to me in my my little uh, like kid brain fantasy as like a Disney movie that never got made. <laughs> Because or like mixed, but like animated more by a Disney level budget, but animated by a outsider like like Fritz the Cat or Fritz something the Cat, like that, who, yeah. specifically Ralph Bakshi, Bakshi, okay. that this guy who created Fritz the Cat, and yeah, he, there was another movie uh, whose title is not Raccoon Skin, but just hit, but it's close to that. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's got Barry White and Scatman Crothers in it. And oh, all right. So uh, like, it's worth checking out. It's it's uh, streaming on Vimeo right now. But like th- this guy was like kind of an outsider like artist, and he eventually made a, a movie called Cool World. Which oh is really, right, yeah, right. like kind of like an anti Roger Rabbit, not very good, but like but interesting in its own way. Was that way. Brad Pitt in that movie? Brad Pitt, early role for yeah. Brad Pitt and okay. uh, Kim Basinger and uh, Gabriel oh, Byrne. Oh right, not a great movie, but just like high concept, and it was just sure like a lot of his stuff is. But this song is like a weird drug addict metaphor but it's crazy yeah there's some craziness i mean miss riley had a dog and every time she let it out it would bark like crazy so the neighbors um shot him down his throat with a gun yeah and then miss murphy had a cat and then that you know had a blood clot and died 
But then somehow these two meet each other, and um, there's this sweaty dude, and he puts a board in between them uh, to keep them apart. Yeah. And they did... The quote, only thing you could do. Only thing they could do, and that was they took the dude sweat and shot it up. Between the two. Between the two, <laughs> right. And they said, ooh, wow, bow, wow. Yeah. That, this, it's this, so strange, but it rocks a lot. It's uh, got it's t- got great t- uh, horns in it. Is it a trumpet? That, that's like a, that's, I think it's like a pocket horn section, like a trumpet and a sax. It's really good. I, I, I yeah. love it. Uh, that that song, There's song's a that fun rock. Bluesy, bluesy guitar riffage all over this thing, and it seems like Lou, even though he's he said like, oh, I I did everything on the first take, he's really having fun singing on this. Yeah, one. I think I think some of these songs, it's like you could tell where he's like higher energy and lower energy. This right. one, he's the energy's there. Hi, yeah, the and he, one, he, yeah, he's having fun. It's it might be absurd and ridiculous, but at the same time, it's just it's undeniably fun. Track three. Track three, Babyface. This is a laid back, slower one. This was uh, an early favorite, like right from the jump, like mm-hmm. just musically. The very first time I heard it, it drew me right in. It was one of my one of my favorite songs on the album for sure. It still is. And uh, the opening line I misinterpreted as Jen at first, but then oh. I heard Jim. I was like, and that that like uh, that hit me two different ways. That's your name. That's my name for one thing, and also the the opening line of. Jim living with you is not such fun. Oh boy, that's as true as it was in 2003 <laughs> as it is now in 2022. Okay, for one thing, I, that's a line that I've heard before. And uh, the other thing is that's that's when because I was unfamiliar with Lou Reed when I first got into him. That's what made me realize, oh, he's gay and or bisexual. That it, like that this whole song like really broke it down for me. So like it, it was a big gateway entry. Like oh wow, this is wild. Yeah, it's Lou or the narrator or you know. Yeah. But I already met Jim, a.k.a. Babyface, in L.A., and everything was fine at first, and then, you know, the narrator says, well, I'm going to replace you. You know, you're taking my drugs off me. This is a... I like also the way this uh, this uh, track is uh, recorded, mm-hmm. where, where, like, there, there's, a, there's a whole, like, line, uh, man, you don't split your stash with the red. Like, it's just, like, sort of overdubbed in I there. With your bread. With your bread. I'm sorry. But I'm not even sure what that means. It, I, well, bread is money. Yeah, and stash is drugs. Stash is drugs. It, I, it's like you're not sharing. You're not. You're not. You're not putting in. You're also not working out. And you can keep it. Just yeah, keep it. Yeah, that's. It's cool. It's yeah. a cool song, and it's chill. And it just. It's really cool song. It's got the organ in the background, and there's like piano vamping all through it, and, uh-huh. and those. There's uh, guitar riffs. It's got jazzy sliding around the fretboard, uh, and then noodling in between. It's, yeah, it totally works. Once again, he's great at the order of songs being in the, you know, yeah, songs it, being in the right order is what I mean to say. Yeah, it's it's a great tune. It's a, the only other thing to say is uh it's just a it's a real favorite of mine. Track number 4, New York Stars. This one uh I was just thinking about like how on Transformer there was a song uh Hanging Round mm-hmm. that that was all about like uh the hangers-on and the people that he couldn't stand to be around and but the bloodsuckers yeah. yeah and it, how that that song how that album how we were thinking was like a very kind of quiet fuck you album sure this one is definitely more plain it's just two years later this track and, definitely is. Yeah, it, yeah he's like he's just like annoyed to death with everybody and like and uh and the whole scene and and the club stuff just like he could not he could not give a shit and his fourth rate imitators yeah you know? I, I i also love the way he says that pay five bucks for fourth great fourth rate imitators yeah which almost sounds like whores but yeah. just the way he says it but I, I just love i love the accent well i know you're a fan of it. it's got the cowbell intro yeah the, the cowbells <laughs> all over this thing and it's the, great the, the guitars sound different than the rest of them they have like slapback delay on them which makes it pretty funky like mm-hmm. the rest of it and just lyrically, it's getting too crowded here. Help me, New York stars. I'm just waiting for them to hurry up and die. It's yeah, it's mean. It, then, it's, uh, it's it's a lot of it's it's all the stuff, the scenester stuff's going on there. And I also think his uh, vocal delivery, like if this is the one where he had low energy, it, it works. Yeah. In particular, the sarcasm comes through more. Where it's just like it's like, oh, please, can I be you? Oh, yeah, Your yeah. profanity so great. <laughs> just fun. <laughs> And he's just picking on his imitators here, like like new buildings, square, tall, and yeah. the same. Yeah. <laughs> it, he's just annoyed. He can't he can't stand stomach these people anymore. It's, yeah, and just other lyrics. Uh, the stock is empty in our eyeball store. All we got left a few cataracts and sores. Yeah, I also like uh, the 
contributions accepted all the same we need a new people store remember we're very good at games yeah that that there's nothing like uh like art scene people they're always broke they're like they'll they'll take they'll take whatever they can get and they don't care how they get it that's is kind of what he's saying there. yeah it's like everybody borrows from somebody but it doesn't have to be but it's usually at the detriment of friendship a rip-off machine like in his case yeah and like it's it's bad it's just bad 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 stuff going on but it's pretty cool mm-hmm. and here's the big one track number five kill your sons it's the first track on side b of the album ah, okay do you cool. want to give a little background on what this is about well initially he wrote this in 1971 but lyrically lyrically it could not be more different the only thing that it retains basically is the title and even the music's kind of changed up too mm-hmm. it was originally written as an anti-vietnam song but really yes and uh that's you can hear that on uh the recently released 1971 demos record. It was reworked into a telling of his experiences as a 17-year-old, uh, like a, I don't want to say manic depressive, but depressed teen. That in a 1959, they, uh, they his parents uh, committed him to psychiatric care, where they performed electroshock therapy on him. Right. And the reasons behind it, like officially, were like just because he was depressed. And they didn't know how they thought like it was unfortunately a practice at the time where they would uh, they shocked they shocked people. You can also read about like Sylvia Plath, the the Bell Jar, which Lou Reed loved. He loved that novel. Mm-hmm. But like it would, she went through the same thing to to treat her uh, her suicidal ideation. That didn't really work out for Sylvia Plath, by the way. Since, no, since she uh, ended up sticking her head in no one oven. Yeah, but uh, Lou Reed, uh, he was down. He was also had bisexual tendencies which drove his father in particular crazy yeah and uh he loved to do just stuff to piss off his dad in general and it just be not only to be a rebellious teen but just to like sort of take his own autonomy being a kid at the same time he didn't quite it didn't not, not everything could work you know or like it just his own mental state sort of starting to crack and so he volunteered to go go into the hospital and they they shocked him and the the result of which he he had permanent like a uh, memory problems right like memory retention and it's it's list there there's a reference to it in the song where like every time you you tried to read a book you couldn't get to page 17 right it's things like that and he he, he suffered with that through the rest of his life yeah and he explains that in uh please kill me by legs mcneil or uh his quote is saying they put the thing down your throat so you don't swallow your tongue and they put electrodes on your head. That's what was recommended in Rockland State Hospital to discourage homosexual feelings. The effect is that you lose your memory and become a vegetable. You can't read a book because you get to page 17 and have to go right back to page 1 again. Now, Rockland State Hospital, on the one of the earlier episodes we were talking about in Congers, mm-hmm. the, uh, where the train hit all those kids. Yeah. This is uh, a few miles south of there. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so in Rockland County in Orangeburg, I think is the name of the town where it's at. So a little south of congers in new city nice the uh other thing to note is that in the velvet underground documentary uh lou's a sister who is still alive uh meryl or bunny as uh he liked to call her she uh was a uh, very defensive about the way her parents uh like handled the situation at the mm-hmm. time just saying highlighting about like that's just what was done back then but uh yeah, electroshock treatment still exists to this day not not necessarily to treat like depression or and certainly not least at least not in any uh, reputable place to treat homosexuality right although i'm sure like the way this country's going anymore like guys like mike pence would uh love to like bring that all back yeah it's still like i i respect where she's coming from like uh louis sister but like at the same time it's just it's kind of reprehensible Mm -hmm. and and clearly it was something that like bothered lou He, he didn't up until he wrote this song it was something he never talked about he never he never talked to anybody about it but on this album, while he was writing it, it just it all just poured out on page, and and in, into song. It's it's one of the songs of his career. It's certainly the song yeah. that stands the test of time for this record and what he would continue playing live years and years afterward. It's it was became a permanent staple of his live live uh, sets. Yeah, and then later in the 1980s, uh, it was covered by power pop genius Tommy Keen. Okay, uh, I would look that up if you haven't heard it because it's a great cover. And he's he was he. Passed away in the past few years, but he's just an amazing songwriter. One of my favorites ever, really. In the song, uh, Lou mentions Payne Whitney Psychiatric Clinic, and that's in the Lower East Side. 
Another former patient, Marilyn Monroe. No kidding. And she was committed there briefly. Another sad story. Yeah. But that one's more conspiratorial. I mean, like if you if you really want to believe like the sure, worst the yeah. worst uh, rumors ever about the Kennedys. It's open to be looked at. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you know, even on 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 a good day, I'll I'll, uh, I'll believe anything about that sort of stuff. I mean, that's just it's just sadness all around. The other thing to like mention, just because this song, it's definitely processing some very real trauma. It's also one of the one of the first songs. Like along with Ennui, that the next track mm-hmm. that really like starts to take to take the lose father uh, Sydney to task because he talks about like uh, yeah there, there's a reference he took an he being his father took an axe and broke the table and aren't you glad you're married yeah it's it's like it's a complete condemnation of uh, marriage and just sort of like the ideal like suburban life which he he grew up with thinking it's like a the idea being that it's it's sort of it's a it's a false cover for like a really dark undertone. Sure, Lou had a lot of critical things, like pretty much up to his death about about his dad. People have debated back and forth about like how much of that is true, how much how much of that uh, that his uh, vitriol for his father right. is real, and like and how much of it is just like Lou just like maybe overly bitter about about the situation he, he went through. But it's re- the feelings are real. So I, I don't I don't know where where it begins or ends, but it's it's certainly a, a theme that continues throughout his career in many many songs as we go forward. Yeah, and we track six. Uh, it almost has like a waltz. It's not exactly a waltz, but it has that kind of vibe intro. Five verses and no chorus. No, that's odd. And uh, and then one guitar solo right in the middle there. It's a fancy depression on we. That's yeah. that's it was always it's always the it's the one that I would never put on a playlist, but like it, in the context of this record, I've. I, I always like it. It's it's a nice breather, right? In between "Kill Your Sons" and "Sally Can't Dance," it's it's basically the whole like your life. Your life is a uh, is a trap. It's you're you're set up to just be a part of the machine, and then like just the last lines that maybe someday you'll have a wife, and then alimony, because <laughs> that's what he'd just been through, right? You yeah, know? just just uh just or went through like that. that yeah. He he went through. He went. I don't know if the uh, how much uh, alimony he ever had to pay Betty. But like yeah. it is like it is like sort of like a depressed like commentary on just like failure. Don't try. Type Don't, of yeah, thing. yeah. The the lesson here, kids, is never try. <laughs> From quoting Mr. Homer J. Simpson. Yeah, I didn't have a lot to say about the song, but uh, you said it well. It's a breather, like an interlude between the two rocking rocking songs. Yeah, rocking tracks. It's yeah. It's just it's a probably the biggest. Well, other than Billy, Billy is definitely the biggest bummer of the song. But it's mm. it's definitely the the. Catch your breath song. Okay, then track number seven. Sally Can't Dance. The title song. Title track. It's definitely the funkiest track and the most danceable, in my opinion. I love it. Yeah. yeah like, like always loved it for, from Jump Street. It's I'm, the single... I'm not a dancer. I don't dance at weddings, even. But no. If this comes on, I think... party pooper. I just... I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy doing it. <laughs> but when this song's on... Oh man, those toes are tapping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Something uh, like that. Well, you know what? I never think to uh, request Lou Reed at weddings, but <laughs> on the off, 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 off chance I'm ever invited to a wedding again. Uh, by the way, never invite me to a wedding. That but, will like, come to mind. That, that will be the one. Yeah. That will be the one. And uh, nobody will know it, and nope, and I won't care. Uh, yeah, this was like this was the song uh, that uh, they sold the album on. Uh, that there's a very funny uh, video I discovered, like of. We're, we were joking around last episode where uh, about Don Pardo, right? Like, yeah, but it turned like 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 uh, oh, but like the it's Lou Reed, like uh, Sally it, can't dance. They, they actually yeah, made a commercial okay. with Lou Reed, yeah. like just sort of like with the sunglasses on, just like and then just sort of shrugging his shoulders, and then you hear like Don Pardo going, "Sing along with Lou," and so Sally great. can't dance is playing. <laughs> yeah, you can find that on YouTube. It's definitely worth checking out. It's, I it's, laughed. So hard. It's it's the best like twenty five seconds. You're like, oh. Sing along with Lou Reed on his new album Sally Can't Dance on RCA Records and Tapes. Watch this now. Sally became a big model. She moved up to idiots. Yeah. <laughs> so here we got fun. Sally. She's kind of hippy dippy type. Yeah. There's multiple inspirations. Sally is a an amalgamation of characters. Right. It's it's the perfect post hippie. I think post hippie into the seventies. Definitely like. The hard, the hard seventies. Like she's a New Yorker. She's been through some shit. 
eats natural food and dances and lives on St. Mark's Place. She was also the first girl to uh, wear tie-dyed tie-dyed pants. Yeah, and painted... like a, like a she should. Yeah, like a she should, <laughs> and uh, painted flowers on her jeans. And the first girl to get raped at Tompkins Square. Yeah, Tompkins that's Square a line. Park. That's a line. That the other thing to point out it's is like, wait, what? Yeah, there's there are two different versions of this song. There's the single version, which is hilarious because it, a it's like only three verses instead of like the five that are oh, there. Okay. And uh, the line uh, she got raped in Tompkins Square is cut out. Oh. They also like uh, said like the there's a, the chorus like she she took too much meth and can't get off of the full off the floor right that, that's replaced with she carried on and can't get off the floor is the way that song goes i haven't heard the single version i guess yeah. the single is the single is weird the vocal take is completely different it's it's a the the song it's a different take of the song altogether hmm. that just but it's it's much shorter it's not even three it doesn't even break three minutes this the uh, the album cut is like five and a half i think Right, moving on, she became a model and moved to 18th and Park Avenue, which is like Flatiron or Gramercy area. Uh, she, was she, on Saint to, pa- she was on St. Mark's Place. Yeah, East Village to uh, uh, Park Avenue. And that's where she used to ball folk singers. Now that is probably a Nico reference right there. Could be, or um, I read Edie Sedgwick, who had a relationship with Bob Dylan. Oh yeah. The, I bring up Nico also because I forgot to mention it earlier. For a second before... Lou uh, like hooked up with Rachel. Uh, he uh, flirted with the idea of producing an album for Nico, oh. and he hadn't seen Nico in a couple of years, not since they did that show out in uh, Paris with uh, John Cale. And then when Nico came over to the to the apartment, Lou was a methamphetamine mess right. and just blabbering on, blabbering on. And he he was still like half in love with her, like we're just obsessed with her. And Nico wanted nothing to do with him. And uh, she left, and that was the last time they ever saw each other. Because she uh, moved on and ultimately died about 15 years later. Right. But, like, uh, like she was she was hooked up with uh, Leonard Cohen for a minute and uh, James Taylor. Mm. And so, like, I, th- I think that was a, it was a running theme where, like, especially in Berlin, like, where he was, like, referencing her. And, yeah, with the German. Yeah, and all that stuff. so, like, that that's going back to that. But also, the other thing about this song is, like, that there's the line... Uh, in the first, which is cut out of the single, by the way, like Sally can't dance no more. They they got her in a trunk of the Ford. Yeah, fa- I think found her found in a her trunk in a of trunk, the Ford. Found her in a trunk of the Ford. That so was she can't dance. Anymore. She can't really do anything. No, anymore. no, no. Yeah. That that was actually a thing where he read of that in the newspaper. Was oh, like, oh there right. was a girl that was found in the trunk of a Ford. He's like, oh, I'm putting that in there. Bad shit happening. Yeah. <laughs> Other things talking about meeting uh, Picasso's illegitimate mistress. Picasso had died the year before in 1973. And the only, like, time-appropriate mistress I found was Jacqueline Rogue. Okay. Uh, but she ended up shooting herself in 1986. Uh, but that was his most painted muse. It was in, like, 400 of his works. Oh, wow. Which is pretty insane. I don't know anything about Picasso. Nah, cool. I didn't really either, and I still don't. But uh, and also says she wore Kenneth Lane jewels. Kenneth Lane made a bunch of costume jewelry around that time. The other uh, name that gets uh, the club, Les Jardines, got name checked. That was the big uh, disco that oh. had a lot of Hollywood types. See, I thought that was a commune in France, but I guess it's no, probably no, it named was, after that. It was like it was the place to be before Studio Fifty Four would open in seventy seven. Now we're talking. Okay. So it was like that. Also, like going back to like the song uh, New York Stars. Right. That's like kind of like the kind of shit that was going on then. It was just that's where you, everybody who was anybody in New York at the time, all the scenesters. Big or small, they're all like congregating that thing. A thing that doesn't literally doesn't happen anymore. That's right. the other thing that should be pointed out. This is also an era where like you could be like rich and famous, but then also like not have two nickels to look, rub together. But like if you were interesting enough for the scene, that was what like Andy like Andy Warhol like did with the Factory and other clubs like did the same thing for a while there. But then as you go into the eighties and nineties and stuff, it's just like. You gotta have money and it work get the fuck out of there. Or have, like connections. Yeah, that's what I heard about like Max's and like Studio Fifty Four. It's like, oh, they, we've got uh, Mick Jagger's in the VIP section, but it's like a roped off area, like six feet away from everybody yeah. else. It's like, yeah, what? it's like it's not the, the same. Yeah, uh, I always found that funny. <laughs> it's uh, what, one other thing, I guess. Uh, Rolling well, and raving. Yeah. That be a lesson to you, kids. Drugs are bad. If you do too much meth and can't get off the floor, you might end up in the trunk of a Ford. Yeah, well, you know, the more you know. So, 
Moving on to track number eight, which is the last proper track on the regular album, and that is Billy. It is a real like singer-songwriter type of style ballad telling a story. This uh, is also what would come later like for Lou big time, not only in his uh, delivery, because it is just so plain spoken, but also just the the no chorus just just straight through straight through sort of thing you hear this a lot on uh, the album New York okay there's a great one of the best songs on there last great of American Whale is a lot like this in a, in a way just just the plowing through the thing very like the, the just the the is it like three chords there basically yeah it's, yeah. it's the whole song yeah. yeah that's that's basically all last American Whale is except just with a little bit of like a little Stuff like flourishes underneath here and there. This one is just bare bones as it gets, and then yep. like that awesome saxophone. Saxophone, yeah, yeah. That like serves as the chorus, basically. Yeah, the sax noodling sax- around on the saxophone, breaking up, uh, you know, breaking up all these verses mm-hmm. about Billy. Now it's a story of his childhood friend, and in simple terms, he became a doctor, went to Vietnam, came back, and he wasn't the same, like talking to a door. Yeah, uh, but there's a lot of great lines in there. Billy was somebody that always seemed to make the right choices, do everything right, was successful in college. While in the song it says Lou dropped out. In reality, he got a B.A. in English. But Yeah, it's also like going back to Kill Your, Kill Your Sons. Uh, the first year of college was definitely really hard for Lou because that's, mm-hmm. that's where that happened. That's, that's when that happened. It was uh, that first year of college was when he like, went in for the shock therapy. He changed, he changed schools when like, he was, I believe he went to, when he went to Syracuse later. Right. That's where he met Delmore Schwartz and like his his whole real drive like for for writing lyrics like really took took a full effect. Yeah, that's really spoken about in the beginning of Lou Reed a Life. Mm-hmm. That really that longer book. Yeah, yeah, that you exactly. yeah that you gave me. That's yeah, right. we're both reading it, dude. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> uh, a line I liked is he studied medicine while I studied foliage, which I took to mean like marijuana foliage. Not foliage. Foliage. (laughs) Look at all this beautiful foliage. It's not foliage, Mom. It's foliage. Foliage. That's what I said. Foliage. I, yeah, I always, I always just, I just like the way he says it. Foliage. Just his delivery of foliage. And then, like, in the song, he's talking about where Billy goes to Vietnam, where, you know, he was mentally unfit. Uh, Lou, in real life, uh, received a one Y classification, uh, which meant this if- is this is what it is. It means he couldn't get drafted. The only way he's going to get drafted is mean if the there's a national emergency or a break or the United States is on the break of war. Now you may be saying, hold on, there literally yeah. was v- the Vietnam War going on. Well, calling it the Vietnam War is a bit of a misnomer. It's really just the Vietnam conflict. We right. haven't been at war since officially since world war ii every conflict since then from korea to the present day has been an unofficial conflict We've operation never, does yes it operation yeah. operation uh infinite justice which is what they initially called the iraqi Afghanistan freedom war. yeah operation iraqi freedom all that horse shit right now it's like operation like ukraine forever instead of suing for peace let's just like funnel arms because the Afghanistan war hasn't even been, hasn't even been a year or gone yet. Sorry, but all that to say is that he never had to. Uh, the other the other surefire way to disclose like or or get out of uh, military service would have been to disclose his homosexual tendencies, right, which sure. definitely would have gotten him out of service back then. But it was also that was 1960, whatever the fuck, and he just. Coming out of the closet, not the best idea back then. Right. And then even as he became famous in the 70s, it's he's dogged by assholes like Lester Bangs who are actively making fun of like his homosexual tendencies. And Lou is playing coy and like trading jabs with, with guys like that. But to do it for real back then, yeah, it's bravery is one thing, but also, especially post-Vietnam, it's just it, where Lou would have been at. It's just too much of a fucking hassle. So... He, he just sort of, in the song, he just sort of says, they said I was mentally unfit, or so they say, so-so. Right. You know. And then 1Y classification was abolished in December, yeah, December 1971. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, the closing lines, he's saying, now I often wonder which one of us was the fool. I don't think that's entirely a fair statement, in my opinion. Uh, but I get where he's going with the lyric. 
it's it I think it speaks to the irony of Billy always making the right choices, quote unquote right choices. Yeah. And now Lou's character or the narrator looks completely sane in comparison with with Billy. I uh, post war. Yeah. And this is like this is the anti-Vietnam thing. This is like this is just anti-war. That's what this song is. It's just just the ugly just the the actual casualty of it. Right. Because like uh, Billy came back. He came back as he was a doctor. He had, like he Set was up to succeed. Yeah, yeah, he was, and he went over there presumably to like to like uh, treat like other wounded soldiers, and he saw horrible shit, you know. And I don't know, just like they they talk all the time about like how they never. There's different degrees of of how badly Vietnam soldiers were uh, treated on the way back, right. like ignore ignoring them and all that shit. I mean, like if you believe the uh, theory. I mean, like, it's like they were spit on, like, coming back from the airports and shit. If you believe even just, like, a quarter of that, at best, maybe they just weren't weren't being properly evaluated. I mean, like, they had already started calling it post-traumatic stress disorder by then. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it has nothing. If you listen to a great George Carlin bit on euphemisms, the original terminology would have been shell shock. Right. And then that, battle fatigue, and battle and, then and operation, PTSD, yeah. operational exhaustion. Yeah, which is what the Korean War, I believe, was. When somebody, when the public gets tired of a term, they just change yeah. the term. And, and now we're just—it's yeah. PTSD. It's an acronym. Yeah, you know, and that, and like you could forget what even an acronym means. Like you don't remember you—you you think of an acronym like DNA, that means deoxyribonucleic acid. acid. Yeah. But I forget that half the time because I'm just—it's just DNA. Eh, <sighs> my goodness. It's heavy. It's a great. It's a great. It as as an album closer. It's it's pretty great. Yeah. But like it's. But it's always been a kind of a tough listen. And that saxophone is so New York. Yeah. In a, in a song that doesn't really, one of the few songs of his that doesn't really have that New York vibe. Yeah. It's just that's just more of a world weary thing. Yeah. Which for Lou at that point, it's actually it's pretty fitting as the last song because he was just burnout. Like at that point, he was st- he's just barely catching his breath mm-hmm. after the whirlwind that 1973 was, and then here he is like going into 74, like already recording another album, and then just having to get up and gear up for yet another tour immediately afterward. But there's one more song, kids. Yeah, there's a bonus track, and what is this? Is on the re-releases? Yes, the CD yeah, the, 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 uh, the big reissue, and this one's called "Good Taste." Well. <laughs> it's I wouldn't bad call taste. it exactly that. Uh, <laughs> the, the secret is it's bad taste. I mean, musically, it sounds like uh, it's, musically, it's it, awesome. It sounds like it should be on this record. You know, it sounds like it fits with everything else. I'm just not. I think it's kind of bland overall. I'm not really crazy about it. It's reminiscent of something off of Berlin lyrically. It's mean spirited because yeah. it's all about like the the lyrical content is is the the there's a overarching thing he says several times you're making a fool of yourself and he's talking about the woman that's obsessed with him following him around and he even says like you're like a japanese woman following following a man in a shadow and, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a whole thing of just like him actively like like uh gaslighting and and just like yeah basically and, and, and Men, like uh, like mentally abusing somebody. Yeah, you're making a joke of yourself. You're making a fool of yourself. Your friends are talking behind your back. But it all proves that you have good taste. Because you're into me, Blah, baby. You turd. <laughs> yeah, no, go I'm fuck you. It's fuck you is what it is. It, but like, I, I will say, like again, it's just one of those songs where lyrically disgusting, but like musically pretty. It's cool. clever, I guess. But uh, it's, it's, it's not my type of no, read song. I I it's I like it to a degree, but like you know, lyrically not so great. That's that's the best takeaway from it. Just it's it's a little rough. So they left it off for about for the better part of forty years, and then they they threw it back on there. Mm. Oh but yeah, a uh, quote from Lou himself: "I hate that album. Sally Can't Dance is tedious. Could you imagine putting out Sally Can't Dance with your name on it, dyeing my hair, and all that shit? That's what they wanted. That's what they got. Sally Can't Dance went into the top ten without a single, and I said, Ugh, what a piece of shit." <laughs> Yes, I also had uh, like quote, yeah. but, like the critics did not really care for it. But like, I mean, like really, Lou had the uh, like the things like he he was his own worst critic on this one. It I, makes me feel like an idiot, a no, musical idiot, because I love this album. That's, I think it's you know, great. I I don't think all about. It. I think he's entitled the way he has to feel. He's and he's certainly not the first person that's like created something where it's they don't think it lives up to their standards. 
and really where he's coming from i understand because he was like high like the entire yeah. time he was barely yeah, like, functioning steve yeah. katz probably deserves a lion's share of the credit for making this album uh, sound as great as it yeah. does but lou clearly when he was he was into it he was into it so like he put in the he put in the work but it, i think structurally and everything there's probably like stuff that like he would have if he had like his bearings a little bit more or was able to like you know sleep for a, for like you know like for more than just like you know a a few minutes at a time. Yeah, it it might it might have come off different, but I think overall that the album really holds up. I mean, it's like, also a major change in his sound with all yeah. the funkiness. I mean, this is almost a year before Bowie's Young Americans with the funkiness. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah. So he, but it's the thing where Bowie probably you can. I'm no question. I mean, he did the better better record as far as all that goes. I mean, you know why? Like, young 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 Americans is pretty awesome. It's recorded in Philadelphia. That's yeah, cool. and it's <laughs> well. There's there's a lot of lot of things working there. I mean, like any, Luther Vandross is one of the backup singers on the album. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. All right. So I mean, like that that's that's like a, there's a lot going on there. If you check out like a a pretty good documentary just called Bowie Five Years, that one's covered. It's covered in there. It's cool. that they they a lot, a lot of great like vintage footage of David Bowie recording that record. The other thing uh, to bring up as uh, we we uh, close out this album is like this is where like uh, Lou would go on tour like immediately following this and this is where he starts putting together what is called the Everyman Band and uh, the Everyman Band uh, was what would uh, end up being like the people that would record he would record with for the next uh, several albums pretty cool he had a kind of a rough go a really bad time in Rome specifically where once again Lou Reed's starting riots or at least adjacent to them there was a rain check uh, like a gig he was doing at Palazzo dello Sport it started raining and then a riot broke out Unre- not entirely related to him there's some political controversy going on at the time but uh, tear gas was shot into a crowd of 7,000 people <laughs> and uh, the structural damage went into the millions mm. and it was just uh, you know it was a mess it was a really really big mess and uh, they almost got killed on a tour bus in Italy as well. Like t- the tour, t- the bus driver nodded off at the wheel. Things happen. Yeah, it just they were going up a mountain, and it was just it was just crazy. It was it was a really really tough time. And then Lou was like, "I invented punk rock and rioting." Yeah, it's a lot of that. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of that going on at the time. One fun fun pull quote about going back to uh, reviews of this. Uh, Robert Criscow had like kind of a backhanded compliment for this record, which was uh, even as he shits on us, he can't staunch his own cleverness. Hmm. I thought that was pretty good. That's a, quite a quote, isn't it? That was it, not it easy says, to say either. It but. says a lot, and I'm very proud of me for able to get that out of my mouth too. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's it's pretty cool. Hey, the dog was hot and the cat was wet. What are you gonna do, yeah, man? It's... <laughs> Dude, sweat. You can keep it. Just keep it. Just keep it. <laughs> Yeah, this is quotable, man. Quotable, fun album. Yeah, it's it's fun. Just sing along with Lou, guys. It's, I, I mean, mean come on, what's this, your problem? Sing yeah. along with Lou. Because <laughs> he's there's some of these tracks he's barely singing. Yeah, ah. it's it's great. Oh, uh, the other thing uh, going on, just uh, before we wrap up, uh, he does uh, press for the album. Lester Bangs doesn't have a lot of great things to say about the record, but you know, oh no way! Can, yeah, go figure. <laughs> he has like his upteenth uh, interview with Lou Reed. Uh, the other thing, but the w- big thing to take away from Lester Bangs in particular is that when Lester Bangs did his big write up, he just had nothing but disparaging things to say about Rachel, who was hanging out there the entire <sighs> time, calling Rachel a thing, oh. and just other disgusting things. And Lou had put up with Lester up until this point. Didn't like it was like. Not a friend, not an enemy, just an annoyance. At this point, Lou would never forgive Lester. Yeah. Like, up until Lester died, just, like, hated his fucking guts. And just, understandably. Lou and Rachel wouldn't last forever, but Lou, like, never stopped holding Lester accountable. And, like, let he he corrects uh, Lester's, like, uh, pronoun, like, stuff, just calling, like, right. you know, Rachel he. Which, actually, incidentally, Lou would uh, make that same mistake. But it's also 1974, 75... And, yeah. it, and the discussion about pronouns definitely not the same thing, but like as it is today, and not nearly as well nuanced. But like Lou would like alternate back and forth between he and she. But when Lester would call Rachel a he, like Lou would like say it's a she, get it right. You know, he would say like very quick to like correct the record. 
Lester Bangs was an asshole. I yeah. Mean, yeah, no getting around totally. it. it. It's just, I, I can't hit that point hard enough. It's yeah. just, he just annoys the piss out of me. Sorry. He's this mighty critic, you know, and I guess critics... He's then, the original incel gatekeeper, but like... But well, like, critics back then had owned thousands of albums and been to thousands of shows, and that's why they, their voice should have been listened to at the time. But it's like attacking who somebody's dating even back then it's like it's it's, it's just ridiculous. gross and, and it was yeah. just and it's just it's uh low-hanging fruit and it's just and then you you mix in a lot of like little things about just the era and plus just, his own music was fucking horrible yeah i can we listen to that one track. yeah you yeah. play i never heard it before you played it for me i was like oh. Oh, jesus christ it's 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 weird yeah <laughs> that's the that it not, not the fun good, weird not the just good like weird. Oh, just this is bad weird. just bad just bad all right. Well, uh, as we uh, as we roll out of here, I believe you have the final word, Paul, about from Lou about like about his uh, thoughts on Sally can't dance and what the future would hold. The worse I am, the more it sells. If I wasn't on the record at all next time around, it'd probably go to number one. And next time we are talking about metal machine music. Contractual obligation. <laughs> Metal Machine music. I am really excited. Me for this too. One. I think this is the maybe the reason I want. I agreed to do this in the first place, just to talk about Metal Machine music. So yeah, that'll be episode number six, Metal Machine music. All right, folks. This is Jim Callahan from the near future. Just to let everybody know that while I stated that Ben Stein was dead, it turns out he is, his condition has been upgraded to alive. <laughs> Turns out uh, he had got on Twitter or some social media platform to let everybody know that uh, Beverly Hills was amuck with crime, uh, no doubt because somebody knocked over a trash can in his gated community. So, once again, Ben Stein, alive. Uh, sorry that I said that he was dead, but at the same time, I am sorry that he is still alive. All right, <laughs> back to the show. Wait, was, do you have like a bee in his bonnet about uh, uh, all those Amazon thefts and stuff? Probably. Yeah. I didn't really pay attention Los to it. Los Angeles. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. Just to the get it. Once again, Ben, Stein, ben Stein's co- condition upgraded to alive. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, please tell all your friends and give us a positive review on iTunes. If we missed something you think we should have covered, please send us a DM on Instagram. We're at Destroy All Radio Inc. I-N-C. And uh, let us know, and we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode. Talking Lou is brought to you by Destroy All Radio Inc. Oh, please, can I be you? Oh, yeah, Your yeah. profanity so great. <laughs> just, just fun.